COVID added more and more online content, and online content is inherently more accessible to a broader audience. So that means your learners have more options than ever, and your learning business has more competitors than ever. So you'll have to do more to stand out and be heard in this increasingly noisy learning landscape. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 287, where we'll talk about what the new year may hold for learning businesses. This is a continuation of our discussion in episode 286, which looked back at the year that was. In this episode, we want to focus on the year that is and the opportunities and challenges for learning. And to help us do that, we're going to draw on data we collected via an online survey in late October and early November 2021. We received qualifying responses from 58 organizations, and we also had supplemental exchanges with seven survey respondents, and we're grateful to them and want to thank Nancy Bacon, Karen Caldwell, Gail Clayman, Jack Corson, Mona Johnson, Sylvia Schroeder, and Scarlett Winters. Yes, thank you all very much. And thank you to all the respondents who took time to uh, fill out the online survey as well. We asked survey respondents to let us know which of 14 areas of activities they're either already pursuing, planning to pursue in the year ahead, or not planning to pursue. So these are the 14 areas that we asked about. First, we asked about creation of learning experiences that combine online elements with face-to-face elements. Second, implementation of technologies that leverage artificial intelligence to support or enhance learning. Third, micro-learning opportunities. Fourth, providing a personalized learning experience. Fifth, the creation of social or peer-to-peer learning experiences. Sixth, the use of virtual reality or augmented reality to provide new learning experiences or enhance existing experiences. And seventh, the use of virtual conferences. And we defined a virtual conference as an online event similar to a traditional face-to-face conference, not just a single webinar. And then the second half of that list, starting with number eight, was new or alternative approaches to credentialing, including certificate programs, micro-credentials, and digital badges. Nine was aligning offerings with specific career or job paths relevant to learners. So for example, through a competency model, learning pathways, or say a targeted curriculum. Tenth was integration of educational offerings into the learning and development programs of employers in a field or industry or into general workforce development needs. Eleven, development of strategies or tactics to help combat declining enrollments, downward price pressure, or commoditization of educational offerings. At 12 was increased efforts to gather and analyze data to inform new product decisions or improve existing products. 13, increased efforts to gather and analyze data that demonstrates the impact or effectiveness of the learning experiences offered. And then finally, the last area, number 14, implementation of methods to ensure that learning is retained and applied over time. 
Now, that's, that list is a kind of a lot to take in uh, just in a single hearing, so we'll make sure to include that list in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 287. Those 14 areas cover a lot of ground, but there are obviously many other areas we could have asked about. So I think it's important for us to talk a little bit about how we arrived at these 14 areas. So we asked about the same 14 areas in a 2020 end of year survey, and we developed the list back in 2018 when it contained 15 items, the 15th being one about the use of blockchain as an approach to managing learner records, which we dropped when it became clear that nobody was doing that and almost nobody was even thinking about it. And that's one we might have to consider adding back in because blockchain is becoming more and more relevant. But to develop the list originally, we took a modified crowdsourcing approach. We first reached out to thoughtful, smart people, practitioners and experts, those working in learning businesses and the vendors and consultants working with them and generated a list of trends. And then folding in our own observations and thoughts, we arrived at the list of 15 originally and 14 now. What's top of the list for your learning business to tackle this year? What are your priorities? It might be something in the list of 14 that we mentioned. It might even be that 15th around blockchain. Um, It might be something else entirely. Um, Again, you can find the list in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 287. But before we share the survey responses on these 14 areas, you might want to pause, literally hit pause on the podcast and think about your own priorities and which of these, if any, are on your radar, and which you're likely to act on in the coming year. Now that you've paused and maybe done some reflecting, I'll share that we saw seven of the 14 areas either being pursued or planning to be pursued in 2022 by roughly 75% or more of responding organizations. In first place is the creation of learning experiences that combine online elements with face-to-face elements, with a whopping 92.4% of respondents already doing that or planning to in 2022. And I think we see COVID's impact in the growth here and the growing prevalence of blended learning among organizations as people are trying to figure out primarily that relationship between their face-to-face offerings and their online offerings and how that's all going to play out going forward. Second in the list of 14 is increased efforts to gather and analyze data to inform new product decisions or improve existing products. A combined 91.5% of respondents are either doing that or will be by the end of 2022. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while or following our work at Leading Learning, you know that Jeff and I are proponents of the power of marketing big picture marketing that goes far beyond just promotion and really starts with product development. Using data to understand what products need to be made and which need to go away and how to improve products, that is just good business practice. Definitely. And our third in the list is microlearning opportunities with 86.5 doing it or planning to. And while microlearning certainly isn't new at this point, it may finally be hitting maturity. And microlearning has the ability to speak well to some of the current moment's realities. 
Microlearning also has the potential to address Zoom fatigue and, and virtual burnout. Microlearning, by definition, requires a shorter online commitment, so it may be more palatable for learners to access microlearning than a Zoom webinar. And the microlearning also gives you the chance to offer something at a lower price point on your value ramp. So learners who can't afford a full eight-hour seminar or a course bundle or all-you-can-eat access might still find something of value that they can afford in your portfolio. And through continued contact with you through that microlearning, they'll be more likely to buy that longer seminar or course bundle from you when they can afford it. And again, if you've been listening to us for a while, you will have heard about the value ramp before. If that's a new concept to you, we'll make sure to include a link in the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 287, where you can learn more about that value ramp. And, and Jeff, what you were just talking about in terms of where micro learning might fit in on the value ramp. And I do agree that there's an opportunity with micro learning, but I, I think that learning businesses are going to need to get good at microlearning to really capitalize on the opportunity. You really need to understand how to chunk content and how to craft an actual learning experience that can take place in a short time and figure out a strategy for microlearning and how it fits into your portfolio, portfolio of offerings. So to get back to the value ramp being a way to potentially help you see that. Definitely. Now back to the list. Fourth is anti-commoditization efforts. And I'm always glad when I can just say that phrase without stumbling. <laughs> and there was 76.6% doing or planning to do something in that arena. And the way we described this in the survey was, I'll quote this, development of strategies or tactics to help combat declining enrollments, downward price pressure, or commoditization of educational offerings. And commoditization concerns, I didn't quite get that. that <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one. <laughs> but those commoditization concerns and those downward price pressures, those aren't new. I mean, especially in highly competitive fields like continuing medical education or continuing legal education, where learning businesses have to compete with free offerings or, or very cheap all-you-can-eat offerings. But I would say over the course of 2021, COVID really pumped up the amount of online learning available and the number of virtual conferences. So more learning businesses are trying to figure out how to do online learning and virtual conferences really well and or how to take a unique approach so that they stand out and don't become a commodity that learners choose or don't choose solely based on price. Use of virtual conferences uh, was fifth of the 14 areas that we Asked about with a combined 76.4% either already doing it or are going to do it in 2022. And, you know, most organizations have had the chance to try virtual conferences by now uh, or been forced to try it in some cases. Some are unconvinced uh, of the value and are, or they're counting on being able to return to relying on in-person conferences. But frankly, I think any organization that offers conferences probably should have some virtual conferences in the mix going forward. And, and to be honest, that's something we've been saying for a while. We've been researching and issuing reports on virtual conferences since way before they were cool. Back in, I think, 2011 was our, our first one. We've offered them ourselves. We're big believers in them if they're done well. And, you know, the shift that we saw in 2020 and 2021 is probably something that's going to stick. And we'll make sure to include a link to the latest version of our virtual conferences report in the show notes to this episode. Sixth, 
In the list is creation of social or peer-to-peer learning experiences. 74.5% of respondents are either already doing that or planning it for the year ahead. And I think the focus on social and peer-to-peer learning makes just a ton of sense in the context of 2022. Social learning is incredibly effective and the pandemic deprived many of us of our usual of some of our usual social interactions. And so in this moment, social and peer-to-peer learning are doubly appealing. They can be very effective learning approaches and then by providing learners with some connection to others, there's this added benefit. And then seventh in the list, and this is the last item where about three quarters or more respondents were doing it or planning to do it in the next year, is another data area. Increased efforts to gather and analyze data that demonstrates the impact or effectiveness of the learning experiences we offer. 74.4% of respondents are either already doing that or planning to in 2022. As you're planning for the year ahead, here are two new options for you to consider. To help learning businesses, Leading Learning offers a range of complementary educational resources, including this podcast. Leading Learning's parent company, Tagoras, provides in-depth, customized consulting services to help learning businesses assess their markets, formulate strategy, and select appropriate technologies. We've provided relatively little between these two options historically. In 2022, we aim to change that with the launch of two new offerings. If you're looking for a practical, concrete way to help your presenters deliver more effective, impactful learning experiences, we have a course called Presenting for Impact that can help you do just that. If you're looking for a structured, intentional way to make your learning business perform better, The Maturity Accelerator Program is designed to help organizations effectively leverage the Tagoras Learning Business Maturity Model in a way that aligns with their specific situation and needs. If you're interested in either or both of these professional development offerings, check the show notes for this podcast episode to learn more or drop us a note at leadinglearning at tagoras.com. If you're interested, you can check the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 287 to learn more. To go along with the survey data, we'll share three trends. Learning businesses that embrace these trends and act on them will be well positioned for 2022 and beyond. First, learners have greater expectations. The pandemic accelerated a trend that's been in progress for years. COVID added more and more online content, and online content is inherently more accessible to a broader audience. So that means your learners have more options than ever, and your learning business has more competitors than ever. So you'll have to do more to stand out and be heard in this increasingly noisy learning landscape. And of course, you know, many organizations made quick pivots and took stopgap measures in 2020 and 2021 as as they had to. But, you know, while those stopgap measures and shortcuts may have been acceptable or, or at least understandable, you know, your customers and members were willing to put up with them during the extraordinary times of an emerging pandemic. There's a lot less tolerance for subpar stuff as we move forward. So you're going to need to evaluate how you've been putting stuff out there and and think about, you know, how do we need to do it going forward if we're going to meet these greater expectations. And those greater expectations of learners, 
those lead naturally to another trend that we're seeing now and that we predict more of in the year ahead. And we're calling this the intentionality imperative. To respond to the greater expectations that learners have, a learning business needs to be more intentional. And that intentionality needs to permeate all levels of what you're doing. It needs to impact the high level strategy. And it also needs to uh, affect the products. You know, we have to be intentional about what we're designing and developing and how we're delivering those products as well. And arguably all of the top seven areas of focus for learning businesses per the survey data we shared speak to getting more intentional. To combine online and face-to-face elements, you have to understand and think through the benefits uh, for the, the, the different delivery formats, their strengths and weaknesses. You know, thinking through how to leverage microlearning, when to use virtual conferences, and how to integrate social or peer-to-peer learning. All of these presuppose being more intentional about what approach works when and for whom. And gathering and using data to inform product decisions or improve existing products is definitely a much more intentional approach and ditto for collecting and using data to demonstrate the impact or effectiveness of your learning products. And then developing strategies or tactics to help combat commoditization takes a focus. It definitely takes being intentional if you're going to pull that off. And we heard a lot about increased intentionality in the open-ended comments from survey respondents and in those supplemental exchanges that we had. I know that one survey respondent um, shared that their organization is going to be specializing in 2022. Pre-pandemic, the organization offered a fairly broad slate of options. And now what they're doing is refining what they offer to better align with their expertise. Another organization is really focusing efforts on pursuing business-to-business opportunities for the bulk sale of courses and really thinking through what that B2B focus entails, you know, from the staffing, uh, who's, you know, who do you have who can sell those deals to the technology? You know, how are you going to deliver those online courses to the organizational customers and really thinking through how the organizational customers will make that content available to their end users? Uh, Another organization was really focused on being intentional about its diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. And they're really focusing on routinizing their DEI efforts. So, you know, doing the somewhat unexciting, unsexy work to really bake it into course proposals and make sure that the DEI efforts don't rely on a single champion. And then we also heard from uh, another organization that's really looking at trying to bake in a uh, green or environmental focus into all of its learning, not just courses specifically about the environment or or climate change. And of course, online learning has huge potential in cutting down on the climate impact of learning by reducing the use of planes for travel, for example. And we think that the intentionality imperative is almost certain to lead to what we're calling the great rebalancing. I feel like we need a drum roll for that. The great rebalancing. We talked in the last episode about there being unbalance out there. You know, the pandemic pushed many individuals and organizations out of, out of balance. Many went into survival mode. With a focus on intentionality, though, we predict a rebalancing. And the rebalancing will mean portfolio changes. And we've already touched on the combination of face-to-face and online and trying to figure out what's the right mix there. 
And we've heard from folks that are working to balance the desire to return to in-person events with the convenience and reach and cost savings of virtual events. And, and part of working on that balance means getting clearer on why to gather in person and to make sure that doing so is for some purpose that can't be replicated online. And then in in addition to questions of rebalancing face-to-face and online, there are also questions around how much of your portfolio is or should be asynchronous versus synchronous, how much should be broadcast versus participatory. And the goal, of course, is to use each modality, each format for its strength and combine strength with strength so that what you're putting out there is really the most effective, most powerful learning experience possible. And along those lines, another area to balance is personalized learning versus prescribed pathways. We hear a lot about both of those. Many organizations really have to do some work to figure out the balance of how much to dictate, you know, how much to prescribe, and, and how much to leave open-ended for the, the, the learner to discover and, and pursue herself. And you know, that question of how much to personalize and how much to prescribe, that can definitely be tricky, and especially if you're in a highly regulated field. And then a last big area that needs rebalancing in many organizations is meetings versus education. And this is a tension that predates the pandemic, but the pandemic exacerbated it. Many learning businesses offer both meetings and conferences on the one hand, and then educational products like courses on the other. And often different groups in the organization manage those and manage them separately. Historically, for many organizations, those meetings and conferences were in person, then COVID moved those online. And so now within an organization, the amount of content jumped hugely and learners are sometimes left trying to sort out the difference between an online course and a recording of a conference session on the same topic. And if learning businesses don't figure that out, if they don't help learners understand the options, then they risk cannibalization. A learner who historically went to the annual meeting and bought some online courses may wind up doing one or the other, but not both. Yeah, and it's an interesting area because you know when when folks talk about cannibalization, it's usually in the context of worrying that a virtual conference is going to hurt in person attendance. If you're offering you know both in person and virtual, that's that's where we've heard the most about this in the past. You know, there's a lot of data that says that that kind of cannibalization is really a myth. It doesn't play out. But it strikes us that the virtual event content really could cannibalize online course content if learning businesses don't do the work to become more intentional about what they're offering and, you know, do that work to rebalance. You know, as a silver lining from the pandemic, I think we're seeing organizations do more cross-departmental work. So both meetings and education folks get together to talk about technology or discuss a, a content strategy. And, and of course, that, that's really going to need to continue. Is that, that kind of coordination, uh, coordination, coordination that's uh, you know, going to prevent the sort of cannibalization that, uh, that we're talking about here. Now, we didn't ask about barriers explicitly in the online survey, but in those follow-on exchanges that we had with some respondents, we did ask about barriers that they're either hitting or anticipate hitting as they try to pursue their plans for 2022. 
And in almost all of those exchanges, the answer basically boils down to one word, capacity. Specifically, they were talking about technology and people. Yeah, and on the technology side, they're often looking for a solution to help them with a strategic goal. For example, a a platform that allows not only B2C sales, business to consumer sales, direct to learners, but also facilitates the the B2B organizational sales model as well. Or uh, a platform that automates a subscription model for learners so they're automatically charged each year. Or technology with good artificial intelligence that can help them really personalize learning. So they have a specific vision and need, but but they're struggling to find the right technology at the right price point to support whatever that vision is. And then on the people side, you know, we're experiencing what's being called the great resignation. And many learning businesses are dealing with being down a team member or even two. And so they're struggling to do everything they have to do with fewer resources And then, of course, there's really fierce competition as they look to hire in team members with the needed skills and knowledge and mindset. You know, and of course, the knowledge and the mindset are changing because of everything we've been talking about here, all of the shifts that have occurred over 2020 and 2021. So, you know, you might need different people on the bus than you had before. You might have lost some people on the bus, unfortunately, along the way. So I think there's going to be a lot of focus, both on technology and people and, and trying to get the right pieces in place to, you know, as we've been saying, to be more intentional, to, to do the work that's going to help with that great rebalancing. You've got to have the capacity to do that. And I think that's just going to be so, so important in 2022. And here's another place to pause and think about your own learning business. What barriers are you hitting or do you anticipate hitting as you try to deliver on your plans for the year ahead? And the idea here is to be forewarned or really being forewarned is being forearmed, I guess is, is how the saying goes. And so if you know what challenges you're likely to encounter, then you'll be better able to deal with them when and if they arise. That's a look ahead at the year to come. The turning of a calendar from one year to the next is a natural time for reflection and preparation. So we encourage you to think about and talk as a team about your learning business's priorities for the year. And don't shy away from also talking about those likely barriers. By unearthing those, you can better address them. You can find show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 287. That will include a recap of the data we shared, some additional resources, and options for subscribing to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss it, when we release new episodes, we encourage you to subscribe, and subscribing also helps us get some data on how the podcast is doing. And we'd also be grateful if you take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Salise and I personally appreciate that, and those reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. Lastly, please spread the word about leading learning. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 287, you'll find links to us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.